Okay, this may sound like a dumb question, and if you know me, I have a lot of those, okay? But this may sound like a dumb question. Are you ready? You ready? I got one nod out of Joey. Are we ready? Because here we go, okay? Yes, yes, okay. When you need to replace something, what do you usually do? You what? You get a new one, right? You get a new one, okay? When, when your shoes are old and you got some holes in them, maybe you don't even wait that long, but when your shoes are old, you get what shoes? You get new shoes, right? When your old phone is starting to wear out, or if you sit on it the wrong way and it, and it cracks, uh, if we're being really honest, you know me, I like to have a few things. You know, so, so uh, when your phone inevitably goes kaput, you gotta get a new phone, right? But then that phone also kind of falls apart, so you get a new phone. And then when that phone doesn't work, you get another phone, right? And then when that phone doesn't work, oh, do you see that? And when that phone doesn't work, you get yet another phone, right? Um, Apple is making too much money off me, I think. But when something wears out, you get a new one, right? Uh, I know, I kind of look like a crazy person. I have a lot of photos of my kids on here. I'm not getting rid of this quite yet. But one day I will get rid of those. Uh, but when something gets old, you replace it with something new, right? You know, an old car, you get still an old car, but it's new to you. And that's good enough. So we are already used to replacing things and just trading them in. But if you pay attention long enough, or if you are, if you will, married long enough, this is true within marriages as well. And church, let's get serious for a second, because this gets dangerous. When we're just used to trading in old things for new things, or, you know, I'm not as, as happy as I used to be. We're used to just trading and upgrading. And I think that can happen here. We have this mindset, well, if it doesn't work, I will get a new one. And so, as people of God, as followers of the way of Jesus, uh, we are simply called to live differently, to not settle, to not settle in our, in our lives, but to do the hard work, the harder work of growth and the hard work of growing, to not settle in our parenting, but to grow, right? You can't just trade those kids, in, those kids in, at least not usually. You know, they're yours. But we do the hard work of growth. And so to refuse to settle in our relationships, in our marriages, it's important because as Christians, we simply believe that we are called to raise the standard on love and to raise the standard on forgiveness, to raise the standard on humility and to raise the standard on kindness. And so as followers of Christ, the call is to raise the standard. Not what can I get out of this, but to raise the standard. I love the Apostle Paul's encouragement from Ephesians 4. Uh, go with me there. As, as I read, you should see it on the screen as well. Paul writes, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, so what does that mean, Paul? Well, here it is. Here's what it kind of looks like, if you will, okay? That's the bones, but here's what everything else looks like. Verse two, with all humility 
and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul, just so you know, context-wise, he's talking to this church in Ephesus, and he's saying, y'all need to focus on the right things. So look around for a sec. Go ahead. It's free. You can look around, all right? So in this setting, this verse is very applicable, right? With all humility with one another and gentleness with one another. You get the idea, right? Also, I think this is a great marriage text. Or depending on how you feel, this is a terrible marriage text. I don't want any of that. I don't want to embrace any of that. I don't want to think that way. But for our purposes today, I want us to be a little more reflective, okay? Again, this is week one of, of the series, I Need a New Marriage. And it simply means that today you may need a new marriage, uh, but there's no new spouse. We're not giving those out today, okay? This is all about within your current marriage, getting a new marriage nonetheless. Because no matter today, no matter your relationship status, we hope that this series will help you grow as a person because our primary focus for these, for these next few weeks, the primary focus will not be wives do more of this, husbands stop doing that, but this is about growth, okay, and, and, and growth with God, and, and to, to grow with God is to take steps with him, because God desires to grow our souls through loving relationships, and so marriage will obviously be the prime and an obvious example for us. But this will be beneficial to everyone if we choose to approach this with a humble heart and attentive souls, okay? So when you think of love and dating and all of that, for some of you, for, and all that trash, okay? When, when you think of that, the first thing we usually think about is the potential partner, right? We usually begin thinking of the ideal person, and it's perfectly fine to have expectations. It's perfectly fine to have standards. And when you're a Christian, some of those standards really become non-negotiables rather quickly, okay? Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, it's all about like, hey, I need someone within my faith, within the Christian faith. I also want someone with shared values and convictions. Uh, I want someone with the same preferences politically and socially that I do, or I need someone with the same hobbies or similar hobbies and not too many bad habits. And all of that sounds great, doesn't it? It all sounds great. You may agree with that. And so it is with this lens that we examine others. Do you fit my criteria, right? And maybe you're here and you're married and it's been a while, but that's, that's still sometimes how we analyze even our marriage, we think, if anyone needs to change, I know who it is. And that's kind of how we approach romance. But I have a question for you, and it's the title of the sermon today. I have a question for you, and it's the title. But what about you? I know it's easy to examine others. And if you're single, that's kind of the primary thing, right? If you're married, it can be easy to look at the other person. But pause. What about you? Because it is easy, again, to give our attention to the potential partner or our partner. But more important is the question we face ourselves. 
What about me? And so today, we will talk more broadly about the importance of our own hearts toward God and love and, of course, romance. But in the following weeks, we will get more specific with regard to marriage itself. But what about you? Many of us, we want to find the one, but we don't want to actually be the one. Okay? We, 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 again, we, we want to find the one, but we don't want to be the one. And a lot of people think that happiness in relationships is all about finding the right person and they match my complete list. Well, maybe 99% of my complete list. And I think a lot of us have bought into something that, that goes like this. You know, if I could find the right person with the right looks and the right personality and the right gifts and the right financial situation, in the right family situation, you see how it just goes on and on and on, then I'd be happy if I could just find all of that in a person. But there's the problem with that. And, and it is, here's the problem. Because until you actually are the right one, you can turn someone who would have been a great partner for you into the wrong person because you're not ready and you don't live up to your own standards, you know? I want someone who loves God. They're committed to church. What about you? I want someone that works out. They diet, they exercise. You know where this is going. Okay, cool. What about you? I want someone who loves God. They read their Bible every day. They listen to worship music, none of that secular stuff. You know, that, that's what I want. Okay, so would you date you? Would you marry you? Are you living up to your own expectations? What about you? Sometimes as a preacher, uh, I'll say something in a sermon, and y'all don't think I can see you. I can see all of you, just so you know, okay? I can, but sometimes I'll say something in a sermon that may be a little more pointed, or some would say has, has a little teeth to it, whatever, and I'll see this, this nudge. It looks like this for the crowd over here. It's a little nudge, and it's actually kind of cute, right? The nudge happens when one person hears, hey, I heard that. Did you hear that? I know the nudge, okay? I'm seeing it right now. Honey, did you hear that? That was for you. Okay, that can be totally fine, all right? But for a few minutes today, let's not hear the sermon with the person next to us in mind, okay? What about you? Let's not, let's not listen to the sermon examining our spouse through a magnifying glass. But let's listen to today, as we walk through the sermon, let's actually listen to this with a mirror in mind. A mirror where we are simply asking, how can I step up? How can I grow? How can I love my spouse better? How can I help my, my spouse see God through me? Because again, let's go back. Here's our aim for today, Okay. Our aim is that with all humility and gentleness and patience that we would bear with one another in love, we'd be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, this context is in relation to church life. But I would say this is also a great text to consider in your marriage. And so it's a great starting point for us because is there anything... Is there anything 
that we struggle with more than humility and gentleness and patience. Examining our own hearts now, humility, gentleness, patience, it's kind of put to the test most of all in conflict, right? And when it comes to conflict, we all kind of have our approach to it, uh, with, especially within marriage, but just in general. We all have our approach to conflict, and maybe you've, you've heard of this, uh, fight or flight, right? Uh, even since I graduated college, I think they've added, whoever they is, they've added two more to this. There's fight, let's go for it. Uh, let's, uh, there's flight, where we run away from it. There's freeze, and there's fawn. And as a preacher, I love it. Four Fs. Like, yeah, that's alliteration. I can, I can remember that. Uh, but think about this for a moment. There's fight. Do you put up the boxing gloves quickly in a, in a conflict? I freely confess that is me. That's my default. I'm ready to win this argument. I'm ready to, to prove the point, to uh, set out my thesis and to prove it like a dissertation. I'm ready to win this argument. That is me. Uh, or maybe that's not you. Maybe for you it's flight. Do you run from conflict? Do you shut down? Do you wall off your spouse? It is easy to do. Do you freeze like a deer in headlights, kind of lose your bearings? You kind of question what's going on. You don't really know what you're supposed to do. Or do you fawn, meaning do you overcompensate? Do you try to make up for the conflict that, may not, that you may not have even caused? Again, no matter your relationship status, Ephesians 4 preaches to all our souls today and calls us to a higher standard. Whether you're married or not, you're single or not, you're single again or not, no matter what. Ephesians 4 is for all of our souls. And again, it calls us to a higher standard. In, in uh, our marriage, uh, something my wife is just simply brilliant with is turning wrath into a conversation. She's brilliant at it, and it annoys me to no end. Because again, I'm ready to fight. I don't want a gentle answer. I want to have a sparring match and go back and forth. But she's just really good at it. She's really good at turning wrath into a conversation. And that's not just with me, but even our children or, or other adults and her friends. She's really great in those moments. And so it reminds me of Proverbs 15. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then verse two, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Couples, have you ever been there? Like you're upset and they're upset and they, they kind of dig at you and you know what? You just give it right back. You're sh they were short with you, so then you yell back. And the anger... It just stirs, and the folly, it just gushes out. It's hard, but please hear this. Anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. It can be righteous, and it can lead us to truth. But the problem is what we do with our anger, because I think you can be angry at your spouse and still aim for peace. I think you can be mad and be direct without being disrespectful. 
I think you can be mad about your partner's actions or words and still own your own actions and words. A humble heart invites forgiveness, gentleness, grace, understanding, and peace. I would say when two people are in conflict, there are two humble hearts at play, like, man, like, a lot of good can come from that. But really, sometimes, if just one of the two has a humble heart, it can open up the other person into humility as well. Because remember, our aim today is from Ephesians, with all humility and gentleness, and that we'd be patient. And then, really, I do, I don't like this part. Bearing with one another. Oh, come on. It's so much easier to walk away, right? It is so much easier to just to give up. But this isn't a video game, right? Oh, I'm really frustrated. Okay, I give up. And then you're back nine minutes later because you, you think, you know, you can, you can fix it. But we bear with one another in love. And then we try to maintain unity of the spirit and peace. And this lens, remember, this isn't to examine the person we're sitting next to, but this is for ourselves. And so speaking of ourselves, we also have something constantly working to destroy us. And so next week, we're actually going to talk more about sin, the history of sin, and, and how that works against us today. But it is this sin that not only separates us from the love of God and wants to, but also the love of our spouse. See, when you enter into a relationship with someone else, you bring in your own dysfunction. Someone say amen. You bring in your own baggage. You bring in your own, S word, sin. Y'all thought I was going somewhere else. Y'all need more Jesus. But we bring in our own meh, right? And there is that honeymoon period where you can gloss over and look over certain things like no big deal. But then 13 months in, you really don't like that your husband never picks up that wet towel out of the bathroom floor. It was cute in the beginning, and now it's just so annoying. So we all bring our own stuff into relationships. And it's so important for us all, just so you know, in case no one told you today, you're a sinner. And man, we love sin. So we need a Savior who is King Jesus, who overcame sin and death so we could live again. And now while, listen, if, if you are in that saving relationship with Christ, that doesn't mean you're perfect. I got no amens on that. That's okay. That's okay. You are not perfect and you're not going to be perfect. But that doesn't mean that you just have it all together. Well, me and Jesus, this is what we do. And I don't struggle anymore. You may think that, but as soon as you join in with someone else in marriage, again, you bring in your own sin, your own trauma, your own dysfunction, your own baggage, your own poor communication skills, your own expectations. You bring all that in with you. And so maybe for you, what you did when you were younger or how you dealt with problems before or in another relationship, that's not going to fly anymore. That's not going to work. And you and your partner need to face that together. And there's nothing our enemy, Satan, our enemy, wants to do more than to just rip us apart and pit us against each other. That's why I love uh, this uh, passage. It's often read in weddings. 
And I love it because of the truth in it. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. The wisdom in the Bible is simply unmatched. Because when we pull into ourselves and we want to be an island, we, 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 we seek self-preservation. We want to, to pull away from our spouse. When we do this and we treat our spouse like another project or we treat our spouse like another kid to be raised, we are easily overpowered because we think it's, I gotta, I gotta bring it all in. I gotta keep myself in this. I gotta protect myself. But when we continue to choose to be on the same team, you know, you are my ride or die. I can be mad at you and not give up on you. Two, the Bible says, can fend off, can fend off problems. But three, three changes everything. And in our day and age, I need to say this very directly. This is not a third literal person in your marriage, not another partner within your marriage. That's called sin. That's another sermon for another day. The third component is the spirit of God. And we three together are not easily broken. Now, maybe that is a significant struggle for you. You've been hurt before, so you would rather wall yourself in, protect yourself. There is grace for you, but you need to deal with some of those problems in your past. And I can't recommend to you enough the power of prayer and a good therapist. But maybe your problems go in the other direction, okay? Maybe that's not you. Your problems go elsewhere. You're not prone to self-isolation, but overcompensation. An issue I'm seeing in our culture with dating and relationships has a lot to do with this common trope that you're half a person walking around looking for your other half to complete you. And then you can be a complete person. That's overcompensating. Another person cannot and will not and should not complete you. Uh, people in the room, uh, don't settle for half a person. Doesn't that sound ridiculous when you just kind of say that? Like, oh yeah, I don't want half a person. See, this, this is a lie, and, and the lie is that if this half person meets this half person, then we can come together and we can be this complete person. And I, and I understand how attractive that sounds, but you're not going to complete each other so much as you're just going to tear one another completely apart. Because when we settle for, for this lie in particular we begin pursuing a complete relationship from someone else when a complete relationship can only come through Christ. And the more you try to pull something out of a person that only God can provide, the more destructive your relationship will be because it's not just falling short of expectations, it's falling short in purpose and meaning. Two things your spouse should not provide to you Purpose and meaning, identity, your ultimate security, these things come from God, but we have a way of putting people up on a pedestal. Oh, you know my husband, he's doing this, he's doing great, and I, I love this. You know my wife, she's doing this, she's doing that. She's great, you know, she, she's the best and all these things. I'm all about, yes, be your biggest cheerleader within your marriage, 
but it can't be the source of your purpose and your meaning and your identity because it will utterly rot it out. We are imperfect people, sinful people who will already fall short. Don't put that expectation on us too. Because some of us, we want security in a relationship that only God can provide. So the issue at hand may not be that your partner or your spouse so much as it's an identity and a pressure issue. Another person cannot, will not, should not complete you. Sorry, Tom Cruise. That was a Gen X reference for you all, okay? Uh, Purpose, meaning, security, identity. You, You get what I'm saying, okay? These are all things God gives us through a relationship with Jesus. But again, we are, are subtly taught the opposite. And so just imagine how exhausting it would be to actually try to be that for someone. I mean, listen, uh, I love that, uh, personally, I love that my wife doesn't need me for her identity or her purpose or her meaning. I didn't marry a half person. I married a whole Kelsey whose primary identity is not wife. Her primary identity is not mama. Her primary identity is daughter to God the Father. Her primary identity comes from Christ. Listen, church, another person cannot give you what God gives you. And that's why, just being really honest with you, okay, as an imperfect person myself, that's why sometimes when I'm in a bad mood or I have an attitude about something, uh, sometimes she doesn't even let it bother her. And then it makes me mad because I'm bothered. Why aren't you bothered that I'm bothered? She's literally said before, are you still mad? Now I'm even more mad. So I won't say anything because if you got nothing nice to say, don't say anything. My mom taught me, so I don't say anything. And she says, you know, well, I'm here when you want to talk. And then she goes about her day. And that's even more anger-inducing inside me. You know, she cares for me, but she doesn't need to coddle me. She is already, she's already raising three kids with me. She doesn't need to raise her husband, too. And let's be honest, there are some emotionally immature husbands that the wife is trying to compensate for all the time. And that can be exhausting. And listen, the opposite is also true. Okay? It's just in my experience, that's, that's what I'm seeing a lot of. I think that posture is only possible. You know, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to let this throw me off. I think that posture is really only possible when we're not tossed easily by small problems in our marriage or life. So when our partner has a rough day, instead of being collateral damage with it, instead of receiving those daggers from a bad day at work, maybe you, maybe, you know, the person comes home, maybe you come home, you know, and you kind of throw some daggers their way. They had nothing to do with it, right? Easy collateral damage. But imagine being so confident in who God made you to be that you just turn that, turn that away. It's like a gentle answer turns away wrath, I read somewhere. It's just a gentleness, a love, a compassion. Because when we really take hold of our aim today to be humble and gentle and patient and eager to be unified together, to be led by the Spirit of God, to actually seek peace, when we are already a whole person, we're not easily thrown around when our spouse is struggling And so instead of giving them anger, we're an anchor 
of gentleness and understanding and peace. Now listen, this isn't about being a super Christian either. Okay, we're going to mess up. You don't have to live up to this insane standard and never make a mistake. There is always grace. But I say this because I would rather you hear this now as a warning before a potential disaster than after as in a And I told you so, because you're going to get this wrong. We've got this wrong plenty, but it's about learning and growing and pushing and committing and pursuing holiness that that honors God and our spouse. Because another person cannot give you what God gives you. I said next week, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the history of sin, the importance of understanding sin and what we could even call systemic sin you know, through Adam, through Eve, our first parents, and down to us. We'll understand that better next week. But I want you to still understand the nature of sin because here's what the nature of sin is all about. The nature of sin, this is it. Meeting a God-given desire in a way that is outside of God's intended design. And of course, there's probably nowhere this shows up more than in dating and in romance because the desire to be with someone, that's a good desire. God literally said, when creating Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God creates Eve from Adam's side. Reminder, that is where your partner belongs. Not in front, not in the back. I think it's, it's a beautiful picture of the intention of the relationship between man and woman, that, that God created woman from the side of Adam because that's where she belongs hand in hand, side by side, you face difficulties together. It's a good thing to desire to be with someone, to belong to someone. But if the devil can get you focused on trying to fulfill that desire outside of its intended time, outside of his intended way, outside of its intended purpose, then you can get completely off course and completely frustrated. And so an obvious example, obviously, is sexual sin, as that falls outside of God's created design for marriage. That sexual sin can occur in so many ways these days. Again, another sermon for another time. But they all lead to the same place. And that's frustration. Frustration. And frustration leads to this point that that boundaries are a good thing married or not. Boundaries are a good thing. And so maybe you're here today and you're not married. Boundaries are a simple way of saying, you know what, we're not going to start this relationship on the physical and the sexual. And that is so important. Uh, But it's not most important. What's most important is building a relationship on the values that we share and the healthy ways that we communicate Building a relationship on your common faith in Christ, maybe your ambitions and your dreams and your vision for your life, all of that is abundantly more important than building a relationship on the physical and the sexual. If marriage is ahead of you, those things are natural and will be celebrated in the right time and the right way and in the right purpose. But until then, set priorities and set boundaries ahead of you and refuse to compromise them. I heard someone say this once, and I've never forgotten it. I think she said something like, um, 
She was encouraging ladies, but I'll encourage all of you, okay? Uh, don't play hard to get. Be hard to get. Don't just play with romance. Don't just play with relationships. Don't just play with your marriage. Don't just play hard to get. Be hard to get. It simply means know who you are. Most important, know who you are. And just as important, know who you're not. And do not settle for less. Set your boundaries and do not compromise them because you know the value God has placed in you and you're not about to give that away cheaply. Now, sometimes in relationships, we don't understand what our value is or what the value of the relationship is. And when we don't understand the value of something, then we won't protect it. We won't protect it to the level that we should. Boundaries are a good thing. And, and, and for the, those who are married, listen, boundaries are still a great thing. Uh, my wife has full access to my phone all the time. I think that's a good thing. She knows my password. She has everything. Uh, and the same for, for us. Boundaries are a good thing. I don't need full access to everything all the time, and honestly, neither do you. I think that can lead us to destructive uh, tendencies and habits. Boundaries are a good thing, and they're a good thing in marriage too. More to come on that in a couple of weeks. Let's, 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 let's lay in this plane today, and we'll start with this. How you start matters, okay? I, I can't really, there's no way around it, and that might, that might be offensive, but how you start it matters, because often we can try to build a relationship or build a marriage on the wrong things. And when you build on the wrong things, you compromise the foundation. And so maybe you are here today and you think, yeah, we got married for the wrong reasons. Just, just humbly hear this. So you laid a foundation, but that foundation is built on obligation. And if it's built on obligation, Eventually, it will lead you to resentment. And once resentment is present, intimacy is affected. And if intimacy is affected, trust is broken. And without trust, you can feel like there's no marriage worth saving. I think some of us need a new marriage. And that comes not by running away. That comes not by listening to a sermon on love and dating and humility and gentleness with your spouse in mind. It comes through owning our own things and our own stuff. Doing the hard work of resetting that firm foundation. And that resetting begins with you. So yes, how you start matters. But how you finish matters most. So for those today if you will, in need of a new foundation to begin that process. You know, what does it take? We've said it a dozen times already. It takes humility on our part. Gentleness on our part. Patience, come on, you know, on our part. Bearing with one another in love. It takes a deep resolve and an eagerness to be united again and again and again. To be bound together with the Spirit of God and through His peace. That's what it takes. And so we have this blueprint in front of us today. And while it begins there, steps still need to be taken. And so listen, listen. We need prayer. 
can't, can't overstate that enough. We need prayer. We need a healthy faith community. We need healthy friendships with people who will point you back to your marriage. We need to take some serious steps and maybe resetting our priorities. We need to take some steps today. But it's not a matter of how you started. It's how you finish. And so we, I want to pray for those marriages in just a moment. But maybe that's not where you're at. To the healthy marriages present today. Or you may not say, well, we're not healthy, but we're not unhealthy. Okay, I need you to listen too. How you finish matters. And I have personally witnessed what looked like healthy marriages otherwise completely crumble because of sin, because of secret sin that began small, flirting over text or at work, secret messages. It starts with, with images or videos on our screen late at night when, when the other one fell asleep. But sin grows. And like a weed, what do weeds constantly do? You can try to cut it off, but it's going to grow back. You can cut it off, and it's going to grow back. You can try to maintain it so much on the surface and say, no, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want to pursue this thing, I don't want to do this thing, I, 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 don't, I don't want this thing, but it's going to keep growing back over and over and over. They come back unless they are uprooted. For our purposes today, that uprooting is simply confession. It is being honest with ourselves and our spouse because how you finish matters most. And while we are sinners prone to sin, and while we have a real spiritual enemy working against us, Christ draws us back to hope and to healing and to faith and to love and to second chances and third chances and fourth chances and so on and on and on and on. Christ has overcome the world. He's overcome sin. He's overcome death. And because he has done that, you and I can cling to Christ who makes all things new. You don't need a new spouse. I think you need a new marriage. And it starts first with us. Because maybe you're here today and you've just simply held on to bitterness entirely too long. Or maybe you have just tried to hide your sin for too long. We have some habits that need to be broken today, and it starts with humility. Church, will you please stand? Uh, band, I'll invite you all up right now. And so just as you stand, if, if we could go ahead and just bow, bow our heads, close our eyes. Uh, for the marriages in this place, if you are, are with your spouse, could you hold hands in this moment? Maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe there was a spat on the drive over. I'm going to come up here and hold the worship director's hand too. Uh, I want to pray right now though. As a symbol of unity and peace. And so Father, I just pray for the marriages represented in this place right now. I pray for a, a, a deep resolve, a persistence, that we be united again, that, that even we can hold hands mad right now. We can be upset right now, but that doesn't mean that, that we're quitting, doesn't mean we're leaving. 
So I just pray for a deeper resolve. I, I pray for a greater intimacy that's not just sexual, but it's intentional. An intimacy that begins with honesty. Because we've hidden some things for some time, and we just need to be upfront. We need to be honest. And so, Father, just pray that in this place right now, I pray for sturdy foundations, new foundations. I pray for protection. I pray for humility. I pray for gentleness. I pray for a bearing with one another in love. I pray we'd be more committed than ever in this, in the sacred union that you have brought together. For those who, for those who are not married today, we are single or we're single again or, or we're just walking through something right now and, and, and that's just not where we're at. I pray for an increase of identity, Lord, that, that you would just give them incredible grace and remind them who they are and who they're not and you would continue to help grow them up into who they're supposed to be and that they wouldn't be distracted by every other commercial around this time of the year that is telling them they need a relationship, they need this, they need that, because they do not. They are already loved by you, so I pray for a confidence in my single friends, my single brothers and sisters today. That you would just continue to, to just fan a flame, stir something inside of them that gives them peace and allows them to see your goodness in their lives all over the place. I thank you that uh, just a bunch of misfits coming together on a Sunday morning, like this is your church. And it's a beautiful representation of the kingdom of God. And so I pray that as we now worship and, and we reflect on this, that we wouldn't leave this here. We wouldn't leave this here. We would be intentional this week. We would, we would take a step in our marriage this week toward our spouse this week. We thank you so much in Jesus' name.